teaching it, but man, sometimes you just got to slow down and teach some of this stuff because it's so good. Uh, we're getting to the end. We're getting to the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and that's what we're about to start reading about is right before He comes back. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Right before He comes back. Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. We're going to be there at verse 1. The last time I was preaching through Revelation in chapter 18, we saw with a great whore, Babylon was destroyed and thrown down and to the ocean and the men were crying and whining, and the, but heaven was rejoicing, was rejoicing over her being destroyed. And now we're going to uh, shift gears, go right into Revelation chapter 19. We'll pick it up there at verse, verse 1. And after these things, these things of the uh, Babylon being destroyed, and after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia. Now, Alleluia is the Hebrew way of how we say Hallelujah with an H. It's Alleluia, which is praise ye Jehovah. Praise ye Jehovah. Alleluia. Praise Jehovah. Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia! And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts. Now we saw those in Revelation chapter 4. The four and twenty elders and the four beasts, those are the ones that were around the throne, fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, praise ye, Jehovah. They're saying, Amen. Amen means so be it. It is what it is. Amen means so be it. Don't be like that stupid congressman up in Washington that said, Amen and a woman. That's the kind of people that run in this country. <laughs> amen and a woman. Come on, man. Amen simply means so be it. That's why we say amen out in the audience. We, uh, in, in congregation, say amen. We mean so be it. Yes, I agree. So be it. Hallelujah. There's three hallelujahs there. See, heaven is rejoicing because Jesus is about to come back. Verse 5, And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. Yes, we should all be praising our God. Verse 6, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. That would be all of us. Now, this is future. This is taking place in the future, and I think it's the near future. But it's taking place in the future, and this is after the church is raptured. This is the, all the tribulation saints. This is all the Christians. We're up in heaven, and we're singing and praising and Yelling, Alleluia, and a great multitude, and as a voice of many waters, and as a voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Omnipotent. Now, that word is a big word if you don't know what that word is. Omnipotent. Potent, like something's very potent. That's some potent stuff. Powerful. Omni means all. So when you say omni, Potent, omnipotent, you're saying all-powerful is our God. 
Now, you need to understand when we say God, and I try to point this out all the time, when you say the word God, you're saying that He's all-powerful, omnipotent. He's all-present. He's all he's omnipresent, meaning He's everywhere. All-present, somewhere. Omni, all-presence, all everywhere. Our God knows all things. He sees all things. And He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. Omniscient, like shit. Like science, knowledge, omni, all, all knowledge. He has all knowledge. He's everywhere. He's all powerful. That's your God. And that he's omnipotent. He's all powerful. He has control of everything. The Lord God omnipotent. He's reigning. Verse 7. Now here we go. Let us be glad and rejoice. Amen. Hey, there's so much to not be glad about in the, in the world today. There's so much not to rejoice about. But you can be glad and rejoice in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that one day He's going to reign. And that you serve a God that's all-powerful, all-knowing. He's everywhere. He knows where you're at. You can't get away from Him. That's your God. That's your Savior. And give honor to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come. And His wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are really weird and hard to understand things. No, that's not what he says. He says, These are the true sayings of God. Are you ready for the marriage? Amen. Are you ready for the marriage? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we continue into your word, Lord God, this morning, Father, I pray you bless us. Lord, open our hearts to the truth, our minds to the truth, Lord God. I pray you built a hedge of protection around every heart in this room, Lord God, that's listening, that the devil can't come and take that seed, Lord, of your word as it's placed there, Father. And I pray your Holy Spirit will move, lead, guide, direct us into all truth, Lord. And Lord, I pray, Father, that as we're going through this this teaching, Lord, we're seeing what you got for us, Lord, that Jesus Christ will be glorified and lifted up in every way, Lord. And I want to thank you for my salvation in Jesus Christ. In his holy name I pray. Amen. So, we're going to talk about the marriage supper, verses 7, 8, and 9. We're going to talk about the marriage of the Lamb. The marriage of the Lamb. Who is the Lamb marrying? Look at verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage... Of the Lamb is come, and his wife, who's his wife, hath made herself ready. Who is this Lamb? The Lamb, of course, is Jesus Christ. Well, who is the Lamb marrying? Well, the Lamb is marrying the church. Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 2, For I have espoused you, talking about the church, the Christians, I have espoused you to one husband, that I may, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, which is this right here, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. You're the bride of Christ. Everybody in this room is the bride of Christ, women and men. We're part of that body, and, we, and that's why you say, well, that make, what, it, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, I thought we're one in Christ. I thought we are in Christ. That's what a wife and a husband are. In God's eyes, those twain become one. 
They're one in Christ. We're one in Christ. When a man gets married, the husband, in God's eyes, the husband and the wife, they become one. That's why it's Mr. and Mrs. Adam. Genesis chapter 5. They become one. So in God's eyes, we're one. So right now, we're, we're espoused. We're, we're, our fiancé is, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day when we get to heaven, we're going to marry Jesus Christ. We're going to be given in marriage and then we'll always be with the Lord Jesus Christ. For the marriage of the Lamb is come and His wife, that's the church, that's us, hath made herself ready. Where does this marriage take place? It takes place in heaven. Pretty obvious right there. It's going to take place in heaven. It don't take place here on earth. But it does take place up in heaven. Up in heaven, there's going to be a great celebration. Hallelujahs, you're reading it with me. Lots and lots of hallelujahs, rejoicing. There's lots of singing and praising as the marriage gets ready to take place. They're up in heaven. When does this marriage take place? When does this marriage take place? Well, let me write it for you. Let me draw this out. I'm going to draw this out real quick. Kind of help you give a visual of when this marriage is going to take place. So, we're going to draw a timeline of the church history there. Draw a timeline of the church history. Jesus Christ came and died for our sins. There's, there's a repentant thief. There's an unrepentant thief. That was about 2,000 years ago on the hill of Calvary. The, then you had the, the resurrection. Christ went up. We're at 2,000 years waiting for Jesus Christ to come back, right? And we're getting close. We're getting close. There's going to come a time, and I think it's really soon, that Jesus Christ is going to rapture us out. We're studying a little bit about that in Sunday school. He's going to say, come up hither. And when he does that, the purpose of that is to take the church and rapture the church out. And then the Bible teaches, and we've been studying it, for seven years there's going to be great tribulation. And during that seven-year tribulation period is the mark of the beast, 666. That's uh, when God's pouring his wrath out on mankind. That's Revelation chapter 6 all the way to Revelation chapter 18. That's what we've been reading. And it's going to go through at the end of Revelation 19. And at the end of Revelation 19, when we get to that, when I'm, I'll preach that, that's when Jesus comes back. That's Jesus coming back. That's the second coming. Praise God that he's coming back. And he's going to come back. And what's he do when he comes back, Pastor? He's going to rule and reign this earth for a thousand years. For a thousand years, he's going to rule and reign this earth for a thousand years as a king of kings. And as Lord of lords. He's going to wear a crown for a thousand years. And then after that thousand years, eternity. Eternity. And I'll teach you all of this. We'll, I'll show you all this in scripture. So you won't just have to take my word for it. I'll show you all of that. But here's the truth. The church is raptured out here. The world is going through tribulation period for at least seven years. It's going through tribulation period for seven years. What's the church doing? What the church is doing up here is getting herself ready. The church is up here getting herself ready. You see that verse 7 where it says, made herself, the wife has made herself ready? Look back at Revelation 19 again. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Notice verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Those are robes for the fine. Look, now no, it's defined. The fine linen, for the fine linen is the righteousness of not Jesus Christ. It's the righteousness of saints. Brothers and sisters, that's implying 
And I'm about to show you some other scriptures to, to show you this, but it's implying when you take that and you take Revelation chapter 3 when Christ is saying you need to get, you got rags, you need to get robes of righteousness. And it's implying that we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ and that's how we're going to get into heaven. Our righteousness is given to us by God through Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Christ's righteousness. That gets us into heaven. But in that millennial kingdom, we're going to be arrayed in our own righteousness of the saints. So it's implying that these works, the things you're doing down here, is how you're going to be dressed during the millennial kingdom. You're earning your robes. You're earning your, your, your uniform. You're earning those righteous, you're earning those, that fine linen. You're earning it right here, right now. So it's important to know that you're one day going to be judged by Jesus Christ. When it says there, verse 7, his wife had made herself ready. What she has made, how she got ready was she went through the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. Turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. She's went through the judgment seat of Christ. Romans chapter 14. Verse 10. Let me bring this back out again because I want to show you something. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. So, what people don't get, Romans chapter 14, verse 10. And this is where people get it all messed up. But why, do, why, but why dost thou judge thy brother, talking about brother in Christ, or why dost thou set it not thy brother, for we, talk, we there's all Christians, believers, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There it is. Now I turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There it is, the judgment seat of Christ. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat. It's real plain in Scripture. And I'll show you where the confusion starts. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll start up there at verse 9. Look at, ver look at verse 8. It's too good to pass up. We are confident, I say, and willing whether, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. When you die, you go on to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. Wherefore we labor. We're not laboring to get saved. We're laboring after we are saved. We're saved not by works. We're saved by faith. Verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Back down to verse 9. Wherefore we labor that whether we present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. Him, Jesus Christ. We want Jesus Christ to accept us. We want Jesus Christ to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We don't want Jesus Christ to look at us like he looked at Peter, like I'm disappointed in you. And we labor to make Jesus Christ happy and to be accepted by him. If we're up in, in his presence or we're down here on earth, look at verse 10. Why? For we, all Christians, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body, down here on earth, according that he hath done, notice, whether it be good or bad, you're saved. Once saved, always saved. 
But once you take your last breath and once this rapture takes place and we go to the judgment seat of Christ, we'll be judged right here at the judgment seat of Christ. So where people get confused is, I'm going to draw it down here. Revelation 20, there's a great white throne judgment. It's not the judgment seat of Christ. It's called the great white throne judgment. And I'll preach it and I'll show it to you. But at that great white throne judgment, all the dead are raised up. And when they're raised up, whoop, I got it wrong. It's up here. Ignore that. It's after the millennial reign. Ignore that right there. It's after the millennial reign. After the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, there's a great white throne judgment. And people, all the dead are raised up. All the sinners are raised up. At that time, their souls are down here in hell burning. And they're raised up right here. After that thousand year reign. And they're judged. They're judged for what they did. All their sins are judged right there. They're condemned already. Isn't that what Jesus said? I mean, I'm following what Jesus said. You're condemned already. He said it back here. You're condemned already. You're going to get your ju the judgment. The sentencing takes place here. Right before eternity. And they're judged. And then when they're judged, and then they're cast back down into hell forever. And we'll get into all the little details about that. That judgment here is not this judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ and the judgment, the great white throne judgment are two different judgments. The judgment seat of Christ is for Christians. You see that? What we're just reading there? That's for Christians. That's not for the lost. That's for Christians. And boy, oh boy, do we have it coming. Mm. Are you ready? Are you ready to stand before Jesus Christ and have him judge you for what you've been doing down here? Well, he's about to. Because I think we're really close to the rapture. I think we're really, really close to the rapture. I think we're really close to Jesus Christ coming back and taking the church. And he's going to take it. He's going to purify it. He's going to get us ready for the marriage. He's going to cleanse us and wash us there up in heaven. We're going to get cleansed out. But guys, look at verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. That's going to be a terrible thing. You're going to be in terror when you stand before Jesus Christ. He's going to start judging you for all those things you did for him, good or bad. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let's look at it. Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 3. He's going to describe this judgment and what takes place at this judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All Christians. Whether you've been good or bad. And he's going to judge you by what he's given you. By the talents he's given you. Everybody in this room has a talent. You might have a different talent than my talent, but God's given you a talent one way or another. And if you take a little bit, you might have a little bit of talent God's given you. And if you take a little bit of talent and you do a lot for God, you're going to get a lot of rewards. If you have a lot of talent and God's given you a lot of ability and you've done just a little bit for the Lord, you're going to lose a lot of rewards. And that's all about that millennial kingdom. Let's break this down. Let's break this down. Look at, uh, look at verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Paul's going to describe it all right here. The judgment seat of Christ. This is for the church. She's getting ready to be married to Christ. She's got to be purified. Look at verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Paul's describing Paul and Apollos himself. And Apollos, he said, who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? 
but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? Who's your pat? Okay, so think about the lowest preacher you know, and think about like Billy Graham or some great man of God, Dwight L. Moody. They're the same. They're all ministers of God. It doesn't matter. Paul and Apollos, they're all ministers of God, and they're all doing what? They're all trying to get people saved. I have, look, verse 6, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God, but God gave the increase. God's working through the smallest preacher this morning, and he's, he was working through Billy Graham, and he's working through Dwight L. Moody, but he's working in here this morning, and he's working through all of America right now through preachers and people who are believers and they're trying to get the gospel out. He's working through all of them, but God gave the increase. It's God working. Verse 7, So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth. I'm a nobody. Billy Graham's a nobody. Dwell Moody's a nobody. Any preacher he knows a nobody. It's all because of Jesus Christ. Working through them. Amen. Man, you got to grab. Paul's the greatest Christian ever lived. He said, I'm a nobody. But God that giveth the increase. It's God working. What does that tell you, Christian? You say, well, I can't do this, I can't do that. No, you can't, but God in you can. You've got to allow God to use you. You've got to allow God to use you. And when you allow God to use you, he's going to use you. Look, look at verse 8. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. They're all doing the same thing. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Everybody's going to get what's coming to them in their labor. Every man shall receive his own reward. There's a reward according to his own labor. Whatever you're doing for the Lord, he's going to reward you. If you're not doing nothing for the Lord, he's not going to reward you. Getting kind of quiet in here. It's coming. There's a reward. This judgment seat's coming. Look, verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. God's doing it. Christ said in John chapter 15, without me, you can do nothing. I'm the vine, you're the branches. It's, it's you abide in me, I'll abide in you, and I'll produce, produce much fruit. But he's using, you're allowing him to use you. So God gets a glory, Jesus Christ gets a glory. He, it, we, it's, uh, for we are laborers together with God. You're God's husbandry. You're God's building. See, we're his, we're his work. He's working. You say, well, I, I can't do this and I can't do that. I know you can't do this or can't do that, but God can through you. You know what the difference between a bad Christian and a good Christian? I'll just shoot straight with you. A good Christian is allowing God to use them. A bad Christian is not allowing God to use them. That's it. You know what this good Christian is? He's a sinner. Amen. He has, he has the same faults. He has the same temptations. He has all the same things. But he allows God to use him. This Christian over here doesn't allow God to use them. He's a sinner. He's, what's the difference? This one's going to get some rewards, and we're about to read about it. This one's not going to get any rewards. Jesus Christ talked about this all through the Gospels. He says, put those rewards up in heaven where the thief can't get them and the moth can't touch them. You know, that's where you want your rewards, not here down here on earth. 
But that's not how we think, amen. We think in the flesh. We're like, I need to get a bigger house. I need to get a better job. I need to get a better paying job. I need to get a better career. I need, and you're working, working, working. And you know what you're working for? For God to just burn it up. Amen. Even, even the country singers sing about it. You can't take it with you. The hearse is going to follow you, to the, you know, with, with U-Hauls behind you. It don't work that way. I just went to an auction yesterday. This guy passed away just a couple houses down there. And there's all his junk out there, and they're all selling it for a dollar. Ronnie knows what I'm talking about. All this beautiful, wonderful stuff that he loved. And it took him probably 80 years to gather all this wonderful stuff. And you have somebody say, I'll give you a dollar for it. And there's some of that they wouldn't even sell for a dollar. You know what it made me think of? All the junk I got back at the house, two houses down. Amen. But you know that stuff that that guy did for Jesus Christ is up in heaven and is a lot more valuable. Amen, amen, amen. Listen, guys, this stuff's important, and I want to encourage you that the, the marriage is coming. You're saved, amen. This sermon is not for the lost. If you're in here this morning and you're lost, this sermon's not for you. You're going to hell. This is for Christians, and I want to encourage you for Christians. The marriage is coming. The judgment seat is coming. You need to get ready. You need to be prepared. And, and, and you, you're getting warned this morning that it's coming. Verse 10. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. So master builder. There's three types of people in this room this morning. Master builder. You're building on a foundation. So either you're an apprentice a journeyman or a master? A lot of y'all understand these concepts. This way, uh, Paul is using it. He's a master builder, a wise master builder. So if you're a journeyman, if you're like an apprentice, then you need help. You need help. You need people to help you. You can't do it all on your own. You need to be shown. You're either an apprentice this morning or you're a journeyman. You could do some on your own, but you still need help, and you still need your work looked over or you're a master, which can do it all. You're one of those three. I want to ask you, ask you this morning to, to look inside yourself and say, what, what am I? Could I do better? Now, an apprentice, you're not going to become a master right when you get saved, amen. Somebody doesn't go onto the work site as an, as an electrician or a plumber and say, okay, I'm a master. What does that take? It takes experience. That takes lots of experience. That takes, that takes, other, it takes a master showing you. There's nothing wrong with that, amen. But you shouldn't be an apprentice your whole career. A 30-year apprentice is a shame. Amen. <laughs> a, 30, a man that's been doing the same job for 30 years, and he walks on the job site, and the boss says, yeah, he's still an apprentice. Well, how long has he been working there? About 30 years. Now, there's some of us that once you work there for a few years, then you move up to a journeyman. You can do some of that work on your own, but you still have to have somebody come look, a master come look and inspect it and make sure there's nothing wrong with that, amen. But man, when you've been there at the job for 30 years, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, your boss, if you worked at a job, is going to expect you to get closer to being a master than to be an apprentice. The, wrong with the, what the problem with the church today is we, we, the church is full of apprentices. They don't, don't, they don't want to grow, they don't want to learn, they don't want to do anything for the Lord, and they're not realizing that they're building on something. They're building on something. 
according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. You need to listen up. You need to be careful how you're building. You realize I'm building something here. When I'm going to church, when I'm studying the Bible, when I'm doing things for Jesus Christ, when the Lord's looking at me and using me and doing, working through me, I'm building thereon. But the point is, verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So you're building this master building you're a master you're trying to become a master working on this building building it up but the foundation is always jesus christ that's why jesus christ is the rock amen and jesus christ told us as the rock he said a wise man built his house on the rock an unwise man built his house on the sand and when the rains came and the storms came the house that was built on the rock, it stood, Jesus said. But the house that was built on the sand, it fell and it was ruined. Everybody who's building something this morning should be building it on the rock, the foundation, Jesus Christ. Amen. Here's what you got coming to you. Look, please, Christian. Please, Christian, read with me these verses. Listen, if you don't have your Bible open, listen to these. Understand that this is what's coming. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, here we go, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. You got six different things there. Now, first, there's two different groups there. The first group, gold, silver, precious stones. That's a good group. That's the good works. That's works you did for Jesus Christ. You did it for Jesus Christ. You did it to please Jesus Christ. It's between you and the Lord sometimes. The Lord works through you doing it. And that's gold. That represents deity. Silver, that's a price of redemption. Precious stones, according to Malachi, represents converts. People you've led to Jesus Christ. People you've invited to church. People you've helped grow in the Lord. That's precious stones. Gold, silver, precious stones. Now, the second group there is wood, hay, stubble. First off, I want to point out wood, hay, stubble. Those are all dead things. Wood is a dead tree, hay is dead grass, and stubble is dead wheat. It's all dead. Those are dead works. Those are things that you've done that don't, they don't matter for anything. Sometimes it's stuff you've done against Jesus Christ. Sometimes, it's, sometimes it might be a good work, but you didn't do it for Jesus Christ. You did it to be seen of men. How many Christians you know do that? Unfortunately, I know a bunch of them. Yeah, I helped them out when they really needed help. Yeah, one day they needed help, and I gave them, gave them $100. I, really was, I was a real blessing to them. Well, you're losing your reward, dummy. <laughs> Talking about it. What did Christ say? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand did. <laughs> but not only does your left hand know, but everybody else in the neighborhood knows too because you make sure everybody knows that you're a good guy. You're losing rewards. Christ says, they, you will receive your reward, but it's down here on heaven. But he says, when you're going to do something, when you're going to give your alms, you're going to do something for the Lord, do it in secret. That when you do it in secret, nobody else knows about it, but your heavenly Father who sees in secret, who's omnipresent, who sees it in secret, he'll bless you openly. 
Amen. And you're getting rewards up in heaven. That's dead wood, dead hay, dead stubble. That, that, that's wood, hay, stubble. That's all those dead things. That's all those bad works. What's going to happen there at that judgment seat of Christ? Every man's work, verse 13, every man's work should be made manifest. We're going to find out. <laughs> We're all going to find out. That's going to be embarrassing. Now you're starting to understand why Paul used the word terror. We're all going to find out. Y'all ever, ever grow up with, and have those dreams where you go to school and you're in your underwear? Yeah, and everybody's like, you have those dreams, you wake up, oh, I'm glad that was only a dream, you know, I was, I was in my underwear. And what, what's those, they say, psychologists say that it represents that you're scared that people are going to find out who you really are. So at this judgment seat of Christ, when Christ brings you up, brings you up, we're going to all find out. What were you doing those works for? For Jesus Christ? Did you love the Lord? Were you doing it because you love people? Or were you just doing it just to be seen of men? I mean, I'll, if I live to be 100, I'll never forget that businessman telling me. He goes, I go to church because it's good business. That's what he told me. He was a used car salesman. Does that surprise you? He goes to church because it's good business. You're wasting your time going to church. You're not gaining nothing. You go to church because you love the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just so people can see the, the newest dress you bought or the newest suit you're wearing or to see my new haircut or to go see so-and-so. It's not a social gathering. It's to be a house of prayer. It's to glorify Jesus Christ. It's to grow in the Lord. It's to praise His name in song and worship. That's what we do here. And to try to win people to Jesus Christ. Get them in the kingdom. Hey, come on. We gotta, it's going to be good. Come on. But once we get them in here, and once you're saved, now we got to say, now let's get to work. we got things we're doing, and we're trying to do it for the Lord. Try to, that, those, those are all, listen guys, those missionaries right there, when the judgment seat of Christ takes place, and they're getting some of their rewards, you know who's going to get a piece of that? Everybody in this room. Because they're going to say, okay, well this so-and-so, who was a part of that? This church, that church, Indian Gap Baptist Church. And you get up there and you say, man, what's all this gold right here? I didn't have, I don't, I didn't do, yeah, that gold right there is because you were giving, you were trying to help out, and that went there, and it's just like, it's just, it's an investment. I know it's hard to see it because you're living by sight, and we just read it, we're, you're living by sight, not by faith. But when you know that the Lord one day is going to reward us for what we're doing, it helps you to keep going on and keep going on. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it when we have that day, when we're raptured out of here, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Okay, now you're getting it. Here's this fire. We'll say it's like a conveyor belt just for... For the sake of everything. It's like a conveyor belt. It's like a furnace. And he puts this conveyor belt on. He puts on the gold and the silver and the stones. What happens when you put gold into fire? It purifies it. It doesn't burn it up. It purifies it. Same thing with silver. With precious stones, that fire's not going to touch that diamond. But when you put in wood and hay and stubble, what happens to the fire? The fire's going to burn that stuff. Man, I, I hate to say this. Some of us are going to be up there at the judgment seat of Christ, and I might be at the very, very back. Some of us are going to be at the judgment seat of Christ, and I might be at the back trying to look over somebody's shoulder to see what's happening. And they put somebody's works in there, and it's going to look like an atomic bomb go off. 
And I'm going to be in the back saying, I know who that was. <laughs> I better not. Amen. I better not. Keegan, come on back up here to the front. I got something I want to talk to you about. <laughs> it's going to look like an atomic explosion going off. All that wood and hay. Ooh, it's big old. You ever seen a grass fire going off? And you'd be like, I've, I've been like coming from Abilene. And there'd be a grass fire in Santa Ana. You can see that thing for 40 miles. And you think it looks like it's just right over there. You go and you go, oh, I thought that fire was just right there. It's just right there. Guys, man, when God puts our works through there, how much of it is going to burn up? We're going to have all these works piled up there. Look, Lord, look what all I've done for you. And you come back and there's just a little bit of gold on the other side. This is really, Keegan, what you've done for me. Just a little bit right here. What sort it is. Of what sort it is. What sort would be, whether it's good or bad, remember? We read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, be judged for whether it's, our works are dead, whether it's good or bad. It's quality and quantity. It's quality and quantity. Quality would be the, great, the pearl of great price. Christ said there was a pearl. It was a pearl of great price. And a man found it. He went and sold everything he had to buy that field that had that pearl of great price in it. Just that one pearl. That, of course, that represents the church, the bride of Christ. That's us. That's how valuable we are to, to the Lord. But it's that quality. Sometimes you might, do, you might do just a little bit of work for the Lord. But, man, if it's quality work, amen? I can pull out two pieces of paper. And this one piece of paper is, is worth $100. And these other 100 pieces of paper, they're all worth a dollar. One, a hundred one dollar bills is worth this one hundred dollar bill. It's all about the quality. It's not always necessarily about the quantity. But if you do enough quantity, it can equal good quality. See, you can maybe do just a little. You might say, well, I'm just doing a little for the Lord. Yeah, but keep doing that little. And that little. And that little. And it'll add up to a lot. But if you say, well, I'm just focused on this one thing. I... If somebody's in a nursing home and they can't do nothing really for the Lord, they can't get out, they can't do anything, he said, but I can sit here and pray, amen. And I've had them tell me that. Brother Ricky Dodd said, I'm praying for y'all. I'm praying for the church. Tell Indian Gap, I'm praying for him. That brother can't do anything else. He's laid in bed. They have to help him up. He's lost a leg. What's he doing? He, all he's doing is praying. But man, oh man, that's a lot of little good quality stuff. Adds up. Verse 14, if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. There it is, everything I've been preaching this morning. Read it again. If any man's work abide, if it isn't burned up through the fire, which he hath built thereupon, you shall, he shall receive a reward. There it is, there's your reward. Now, I don't have time this morning because we're getting close to being done, but you go through this uh, you go through this judgment seat of Christ, you get your gold, you get your silver, you get your precious stones. You know what that's going to be made into? It's going to be made into a crown. And there's at least five crowns in the Bible. And you remember way back when I was preaching in Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5, what were they doing with those crowns? They said they had those crowns and they cast those crowns at the throne of Jesus. It would be a nice thing to be able to have all those rewards and have, even if it's a little crown, and say, Lord, I know I didn't do a lot for you, but here, here you go, I did something for you. To sit there and have nothing to give to the Lord Jesus Christ because all your works were burned up.
I can see, I can tell, I can feel it. Some of y'all don't care one bit about this. Some of y'all could care less about this. You're ready to get out of here. It's time to go eat. Let's get done, pastor. Let's shut up. I'm telling you, there's going to come a day at the Joseph City Christ, you're going to wish you paid a lot more attention to this sermon right here. I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be hateful to you. I'm just trying to warn you. Verse 15, if any man's work should be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself should be saved. This isn't for salvation. Yet so is by fire, like you're going through the fire, like Moses went through the water. You're going through the fire. You shall be saved. This isn't a judgment for salvation. We're not trying to determine if you're saved or lost. That's already been determined at the cross and what you did with the cross. That's why you're up there at the judgment seat of Christ. This has nothing to do with salvation. This has to do with your works. What you did for Jesus. And I'm here to tell you and ask you this morning, what have you done for Jesus? Not for me, not for the church, not for Indian Gap, not for your fellow brothers. What have you done for Jesus? Just for Him. Say, Lord, nobody knows about this. My spouse, my mom, my dad, nobody knows about it. Just me and you, Lord. I'm going to read this Bible verse for you. I'm going to pray this prayer for you. I'm going to give this track for you. I'm going to leave this track. This is this trip between you and the Lord. And I'm here to tell you, those things are precious to the Lord. Very, very precious to the Lord. I want to close by going to Colossians chapter 3. We've got a little bit, a couple more minutes. Colossians chapter 3 in closing. Colossians chapter 3, if you're following along, and I'm going to read this to you. Paul talked about this again. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. And I'm going to close with this. Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men. There you go. Knowing what? Knowing what? Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. That millennial inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. Are you serving yourself? Are you serving the world? Or are you serving the Lord? Verse 25. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons. Not with God. God doesn't care if you're down here on this earth and you're rich. He don't care if you're pretty, ugly, skinny, heavy, smart, really, really smart, not that smart. God doesn't care. He's not a respecter of persons. He's going to say, what have you done for me? In Luke chapter 19, when Jesus Christ is describing this stuff, he's describing the parable. He gives everybody one talent. All of them do something with that talent, and they all get to rule over cities, depending on how much they've done. He comes to the man at the end that had done nothing with the talent, and, he's, and he said, what did you do with my talent? And that man said, I took your talent because I was afraid of you, Lord, and I went and hid it in the field, and now you're back. Here's your talent back. And the Lord wasn't happy with him. Go read it. Luke chapter 19. The Lord said, you should have at least took that and invested it in something and got a little bit of interest back. Everybody in this room has been given the gift of salvation, I believe. If you're not, you need to come on down here and get saved. God's invested in you. He saved you. He died for you. He gave you a free gift. He expects you to do some work. You're not on with God's welfare plan. I don't know what that work is. That's between you and the Lord God, amen. It might be just a little bit of something, but I'm here to tell you, just do that little bit of something because a little bit of something eventually will add up. Amen. It'll eventually add up. 
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your grace and mercy, Lord God. I pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts the truth, Lord God. I pray, Lord, you'd give us something to do for you, Lord. Make it evident to us, Lord God. And Lord, I pray, Father, that as we go through the rest of this week, Lord God, that you get all the